Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So yesterday, we celebrated something, and you may not have thought about it between the picnics and the barbecues and the fireworks and all of that kind of stuff, but yesterday, we celebrated in this country something very specific. All right, we didn't celebrate patriotism. We didn't celebrate our freedoms, although that was part of the deal. Um, sometimes we call it our, our nation's birthday, but technically, we really didn't become a nation until 23 years later when we actually had a constitution. But on July 4th, something very specific happened, and that's what we celebrated yesterday. Anybody know what that was? It was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's right. That's what specifically it was. It was actually finished on July 2nd, but it was signed on the 4th, and that became what we considered the birthday of our nation. Now, I want to ask a question. With all of your picnics and barbecues, how many sat around, took out a copy of the Declaration of Independence, and read it out loud for everybody to enjoy? Anybody do that? Yeah, I don't believe that, all right? In fact, has anybody read the Declaration of Independence since their junior year of high school U.S. history. Okay. Has anybody read it at all? No, not very many. Okay. Though so that's what that was all about. And let me tell you, I enjoy the freedoms that we celebrate, particularly that we live in a nation where we can celebrate and enjoy religious freedom. There are places in this world where that is not possible. And so I consider myself blessed to be uh, living in this country. I've had the opportunity to visit other countries and seen other forms of government and other kinds of oppression. And, and to say that we have the kinds of freedoms that we have here, that is a huge thing. And so I am greatly uh, blessed and, and consider myself blessed to be a part of this nation. And I hope you do too. Um, but the, in the last couple of weeks particularly, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of Facebooking. There's been a lot of uh, anxiety. There's been a whole lot of controversy and all about the role of, of government and the church and faith and God and politics and all that kind of stuff. And it may not surprise you, maybe it does surprise you to know that that is not something new. That has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, all the way back in Jesus' time, there was controversy about God and politics and faith and government and all that kind of stuff. And in this series, we're talking um, what Jesus said about that. And the that today is we're going to talk about what Jesus said about God and government. And there's a particular um, passage in, it's actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, all three of them, where there was an event in which Jesus was asked a question that was really a political question. But in his answer, he gave some real guidelines, I think, for us 2,000 years later to understand what is the role of faith and politics and God and government and all of that. And it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. That's the one we're going to look at together today. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. It says, The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, him being Jesus, to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked him, whose image is on this? And whose inscription? 
Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Now, part of, you got, of understanding what's going on here is you need to understand the context of all of this. This event, this encounter happens shortly after the cleansing of the temple. Jesus has come in on the, on, uh, on, on the donkey on, the, on uh, um, Palm Sunday. He uh, immediately went to the temple, threw out all the money changers, turned over the tables, made a big ruckus and everything, okay? And it was on the heels of that that these guys came and asked them about that. And that becomes very important as we get into this. You're going to see. And what Jesus did when he's asked this trick question, they're trying to trap him in something, he doesn't just avoid the trap. He actually gives some indication and some direction for how we as Christ followers are to interact in our, go- in our government. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And by the way, I'm going to say up front, I am not claiming to resolve that issue in a 20-minute talk, okay? I just know I'm not going to get there. And I also know, you know, that the two things, if you want to start an argument, you know, religion and politics, and I'm going to talk about both of them today, so I'm going to be in big trouble. So give me a little bit of grace, because you may not agree with me, but I think there's some real clear direction that Jesus gave us in all this. And I want to start with this. When it comes to your faith and government, or your faith and politics, your belief in God and all of that, be very careful that you don't let your politics determine your faith. That's very, very important. Jesus is not a member of any political party. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Libertarian. In fact, it may surprise you to understand, Jesus is not even an American. But so often, we wrap the flag around the cross, and we confuse the whole thing, and it only gets us into trouble. Jesus will not be squeezed into anybody's political agenda, and that's what was going on here. We're told as you read this, this is actually a political trap that's being set. It says, the Pharisees went out to lay plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, here's what you need to understand about those two groups of people. The Pharisees were the religious purists. They really didn't have much or any political power. They were, they were more religious authorities, okay? The Herodians were like at the opposite end of the political spectrum. The Herodians were sympathizers and collaborators. They were supportive of, of the puppet king that Rome had set up in Herod, okay? Thus their name. And so you had these two groups. The, the, the Pharisees were more separatists and coming away and not wanting anything to do with Rome. And they thought Roman oppression was, 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 was terrible and they wanted Rome to be done and gone and, and, and given back, you know, give us back our country. The Herodians had bought into the Roman government. Okay? So these guys are like at the far ends of the political spectrum and yet they come together to ask Jesus this question. And what they're trying to do is put him into this political trap. They're forcing him, trying to force him to take sides. So they ask him the question. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, here's something else you need to understand about that. The imperial tax, that's a very specific tax, okay? And, and have you ever noticed, doesn't it always come down to taxes? Have you noticed that? I mean, that's where everything starts. You start messing with people's money. They get really, really angry, okay? Well, the imperial tax was a tax, but it was a specific tax. It was a tax that was taxed only not on Roman citizens, but only on Roman subjects. 
And so, in essence, what you were doing is you were paying the tax for the privilege of being a subject of the Roman rule, which they didn't want to be a part of anyway. So they're being forced to pay for something that they don't want. They want Rome to be gone. And so, so the whole thing, and, and by the way, it wasn't a whole lot of money. It was actually one denarius. It wasn't a huge task. It wasn't the amount. It was what it represented. And that's why you understand it's a political trap that they've set for him. They want to know. Whose side are you on? And that is a loaded question. Because this is a very, very volatile situation that's going on there. There was actually, this imperial tax had been imposed on them 25 years previously. And it had set off a rebellion. There was a man named Judas the Galilean who actually uh, put together an armed revolt against Rome. It was quashed. He was crucified and all of his followers. Okay, They were destroyed. Their rebellion was crushed. But that had been brewing now for another 25 years. And so everybody's kind of on the edge, and they want Jesus to give an answer. And he's not going to be squeezed into their political agendas. And it's important for us as Christ followers to not impose on Jesus something that he refused to impose on himself. And we've got to be very, very careful about not defining our faith by our politics. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no one Christian way to vote. There is no one Christian political agenda. You look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, and sometimes he comes across as an extreme liberal. And there are other times, and in some of his teachings, he comes across as an extreme conservative. He won't be squeezed into anybody's political agenda. And we can't do to him what he would not allow others to do to him, what he wouldn't do for himself. In fact, there was a time as he gained in popularity and then they, people loved his teaching that they actually, it was a time that they wanted to take, take him and make him king by force, have him take on a political revolution, an armed revolution. And it says in John 6, 15, that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, re- withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I'm not going to be a part of it. In fact, he said on another occasion, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants, my servants would f- fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I think sometimes politically we want so much to have God on our side. And I think the bigger question is to ask ourselves, are we on God's side? It's not about getting God on our side. It's are we on his? Are we on God's side? So be careful not to define your faith by your politics. Now, having said that, let me add something else. That having a personal faith is not the same thing. It doesn't mean that it's a private faith. And what that means is, because there are some people who say that, that your faith should be completely divorced from everything else. It should be kept private. It should, it's a personal thing. It's, you know, if it, whatever works for you, and, and it shouldn't impact anything else. And, and, and from all different ends of the spectrum we have people there are atheists who don't think that there should be any god in anything that has to do with our government and with our country they believe that freedom of religion should be freedom from religion okay but there are some who are in the christian faith who kind of have the same thing you know the amish they kind of just withdraw into their own little society and their own culture and and just keep themselves separate from everything else that's going on in the country there were people like that in jesus day by the way there were a group called the essenes um we, they're not actually mentioned in the Bible. We know about them because anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, Those Dead Sea Scrolls came from an Essene community in Qumran. 
and, and a lot of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that, that, that was the writings and, and the teachings and the studying and, and, um, and the scriptures that were used in the Essenes. They, were, they withdrew completely from society. They didn't like Rome, but they also thought that, that um, the Jewish society was corrupt as well. And so their answer was to, to, to withdraw from everything and devote themselves to purity. And that's not the answer either. Jesus gives us a different way. He says to them, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Now, this is what a denarius looked like. On the front side of the coin was a picture of Caesar and an inscription about Caesar. And on the back side was a picture of the, the goddess. Okay? And so he takes this coin and he asks them, so whose picture is on this? Who's, whose picture, whose inscription is this? They said, well, it's Caesar's. And his answer to them is so, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, there are some things that are Caesar's. And I think our, our private faith or our personal faith does have a public side to it. It's not about withdrawing. It's not about separatism. It's about taking responsibility where we live. That there is a responsibility as citizens of our nation. I think every Christian ought to vote every election. Now, you shouldn't just vote the party line. You should give thoughtful, God-honoring thought to where you place your vote. But I think every Christ follower ought. We have the opportunity. See, they didn't have that. The only opportunity they had, the only in, input they had at all to the Roman government was pay your taxes, okay? We live in a society where you actually get a little bit of a voice. You ought to use that voice. I think every Christ follower ought to vote. I think every Christ follower ought to be engaged and involved in, in that process, okay? I think every Christ follower ought to do their duty in jury duty, Okay? Now, I got to tell you, I lived for 40 years never being called for jury duty. We moved to Benicia, and I get called every single year. I don't know what it is about Solano County. There's a lot of crime going on out here or something. I don't know. But I am constantly called. And, you know, the first time I got called on jury duty, it was like, oh, I've never done this before. This is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And the second time I got called, it goes, okay, well, I'm going to do my duty. And the third time, it's was like, okay, how can I get out of this? <laughs> But I think it's part of our responsibility. See, when, when he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, what he's saying is that there is a responsibility that comes with citizenship. And you need to do your responsibility to your society and to your culture. You've got that responsibility. And we live in a country where you get that voice, you ought to use that voice. Now, let me say this. There will be candidates elected. There will be laws enacted there will be Supreme Court decisions that you may or may not disagree with or agree with. That's what comes with the territory. Okay? It comes with the territory. Being part of this culture and this society means that some things will not always be something that you agree with. But that's, he says, if you're going to use the temp, if you're going to use the denarius, if you're going to use this coin, then you got to take what comes along with the coin. If you're going to do commerce in this, in this society, then you got to take what comes with it. And I think that's what Jesus is saying, that we have that responsibility. But we need to understand, there's, we, this is not a Christian nation, folks. It is not. 
There are a lot of Christians who live in this nation, but we are not a Christian nation. There are a lot of our founding fathers were Christians. Some of them were not. And we need to understand there are some things that come with the territory. And we're not always going to be in agreement with everything that happens in our, in our society. But it comes with the territory and we are a part of it. And our faith must have its implications in every aspect of our lives. William Wilberforce was a member of parliament in the late 17th, uh, 1700s, early 1800s in England. He became a convert. He gave, gave his life to Christ, and it impacted his life. It changed everything about him. It changed how he viewed his position. It changed how he viewed his ownership of slaves. And it so changed him that he became the champion in parliament to abolish the slave trade in England. And he did it out of the outgrowth of his faith in Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. started the civil rights movement. Not just as a political movement, but because of his faith in Christ. who said that if all men are created equal, then they are equal. And it, we should not live in a nation where they are not. It came not because of his political views so much as it came from his faith in God. And there are people in our church here who, who say, you know, my faith has to impact how I live in my society and in my culture. And we have people in our church who are actively involved in trying to stop, stop the um, human trafficking that goes on in our area. And, and it's because as a Christ follower, I can't stand by and let that happen. I have to be involved in being a part of the solution to this problem. We have people in our church who, who serve um, with First Baptist uh, uh, in uh, Vallejo and serve needy, hungry, homeless people because as Christ fathers, we can't stand by and watch that happen. There's an implication to our faith that has a public side to it, and we need to be able to take those public stands. But it isn't always about protests. It's more about compassion. See, Jesus said, this, this kingdom, my kingdom is this, not of this world. But he said, there's kingdom values. And this is what he said. He said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I am afraid that all too often in the Christian community, being salt and light has, a, has been reduced to rubbing salt in people's wounds and being a searchlight trying to find out everybody's sin. And that's not what Jesus had in mind. He had in mind being an influence. Provide seasoning. Provide hope. And I think that is the, the, the public side of our faith. It's a personal faith, but it is not a private faith. It ought to affect every aspect of our lives. And ultimately, it comes down to this. Ultimately, authority belongs to God alone. Because that's how he finished it. He puts a limit on governmental authority. He said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. See, on that coin... There was a picture of Caesar, but there was also an inscription. The inscription on the coin read this way. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus. What he was doing there was claiming to be God. 
And the back side of the coin with the picture of the goddess had an inscription that in that translated says high priest. In other words, on that coin, it was saying Caesar is God and he has authority over all worship. And I think as Jesus holds that coin, holds up to him, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he puts it down. He says, but give to God what is God's. And I think the answer is worship belongs to God. Authority belongs to God. They give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but there are some things that are not Caesar's. Love your country, but don't worship it. Be a part of the process, but don't make that your final authority. Our final authority is God and his word and his teachings. See, the job of government is to protect people, to administer law and order, and to serve the common good. I think the job of the church, the role of the church is to love people, administer grace and truth, and serve God. And I think as Christ followers, that's what we are called to do. Don't pursue the kingdom of God with political power. Don't pursue the kingdom of God with force. The kingdom of God doesn't happen that way. See, the kingdom of God doesn't deal in the power structures of this world. See, man's kingdom is all about success. It's all about authority. It's all about influence. It's about um, status. It's about wealth. It's about power. But that's not the kingdom of God. Jesus defined the values of the kingdom of God when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's... That's the way the kingdom of God advances. And historically, any time the church has gotten political power, it has turned out badly. (laughs) It just has. Because that's not our realm. The church, the first century church, they had no political clout. They had no political influence. They were beaten They were hunted down. They were put to death. They were persecuted. But you know what they did? They loved on people. They cared for people who nobody else cared about. They they spent time and invested in people that everybody else threw away, that the Roman government said they weren't even people. But the church loved them. The church reached out to them. The church cared for them. And in the first century, if you had said to those first century Christians that the Roman, the Roman government would not be there forever, they would not have believed you. Rome had been in power for years and years and years. All they knew and all they probably thought was Roman government will be here forever. It is never going to end, and we're going to have to live in this society just like it is, and it's never going to change. But I love Andy Stanley's line. He says, but today, people name their children John Peter, James, and they named their dogs Caesar and Nero. (laughs) See, sometimes we think it's all about having power. But you know what? For the last 2,000 years, 
The kingdom of God has advanced through love, mercy, humility, <coughs> compassion. That's the kingdom we're a part of. And ultimately, that's our authority. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus called his followers, you and me, to be a part of a kingdom that transcends all earthly kingdoms. We are fortunate to live in a nation where we do have some influence, we do have some voice, and we should make use of that. But it was to the first century Christians that Paul wrote, pray for those in authority over you. Pray for Caesar. Pray for Nero. Pray for the Roman governor. Pray for them. And I think that is one of our greatest responsibilities. So as we close this morning, I want us as a church to pray for our nation, for our state, for our communities, and for us as a church that we would be the true salt and light that God has called us to be where we are right now. So I'm going to pray for us as we close. Now, one thing, and, and this is totally nothing about what we've talked about this morning, but I know God is always at work in people's hearts in ways that I can't understand. <laughs> and, and we always, every time we get together, we want to give people an opportunity to find that higher authority, to find that life that Christ offers to us. And maybe you're here, and it has nothing to do with what I talked about today, but, but you are here, and you don't know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know what it is to have that kind of a personal faith. And you've been living most of your life doing it on your own. And maybe you came here today realizing you can't do it on your own. And you've made enough mistakes, and you've had enough failures, and there's enough sin in your life to be able to say, i got to change this, and I can't do it on my own. You can today take a first step of faith, and it's simply acknowledging that very thing, acknowledging your need, acknowledging your sin, and then transferring your trust and saying, God, would you please forgive me through Jesus Christ? Would your grace restore and renew my life? I want to make you the authority, and I want to learn how to follow you from this day forward. And, and if that's where you're at today, I want to give you an opportunity to, to make that known. I'm going to ask you to do something. Just simply raise your hand. And when you do, look up, catch my eye. If that describes you in a way, and you're ready to take that first step of faith today, um, just let me know by raising your hand. Hold it up for a moment so I can see you and acknowledge you. All right. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the blessings that we enjoy as a part of this nation. We thank you for the freedoms that we have, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to worship. We don't take those things lightly. But we also pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for our president, Obama. We pray for our senators, for our congressmen who are making decisions that, in fact, impact people's lives. We pray for the Supreme Court as they make decisions that impact people's lives. For our governor, for our legislature, for our city council, for all those who are in authority over it, they make decisions and they set policies that impact people's lives. Lord, give them wisdom. Give them guidance. Give them clarity. 
And for us as a church, show us how we can better be salt and light. People of influence, people of love, people of mercy. People that point other people to you. Not just by our words, but by our actions. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.